Music, news, entertainment, it's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and this week we chat with Grammy-nominated DJ and producer Steve Aoki about his album Neon Future 4, which is getting a ton of positive reviews. We also welcome UK-born but Brooklyn-based recording artist Tamson Wilson of the group Wilson. New music on the way, too, from Brandy, Marshmello, Halsey, and Her, plus a chat with our music editor, Sharon Highland about the new world of live streaming concerts. Super excited to hang out with our first guest, two-time Grammy-nominated DJ and producer Steve Aoki, who has worked with the who's who of recording artists, including Celine Dion, Backstreet Boys, and BTS. Steve, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Yeah, Ed, thanks for having me. So, Steve, how are you doing handling all the uh, social distancing and being at home at home so much these days? Because I know that in a regular time period, you'd be traveling all over the place. You know, I've figured out my rhythm being at home and... Um, once you can do that, then, then things will be all right. You know, like, um, one, I'm very lucky because I have a, a amazing house for the quarantine time. So I have a lot of activities that I can do. And two, I think something that um, everyone can also attribute to their lifestyle is just building a planner and scheduling your days. Because once you start scheduling your days, then you don't just kind of lounge around and, and wait for, you know, your favorite Netflix shows to, you know, to binge watch or, or whatnot. But, um, you know, you can go and, like, do the things that you need to do creatively and, uh, and do the things that, that you actually wanted, wanted to always do but never had time for. And um, so I'm kind of making room and time for all of that, and my days are packed. They're, like, stacked up once again and I prefer busy I prefer having structure so I'm doing quite fine and how is fitness playing a part in all of this because I know that you're a pretty active guy so I'm assuming being uh, sort of active is helping you keep your mind straight too yeah yeah fitness is a big deal I like luckily I have a gym in my house not, not many people do and uh, I like to live stream so I, I did actually right before you know future four came out we did 15 uh, 15 wads workouts of the day leading to the album release. And I was dropping a song on, um, at the end of each workout. So I was just doing a workout and dropping music and doing split live, uh, Instagram streams with different artists that are on the album. But, um, you know, I just try to make it as fun as possible. You know, um, working out is definitely an, uh, easy way to keep your mind and body active and, and also, it's like it's a it's a it's a gateway drug to do other things that are really good for you, like meditation or yoga or breath work or things like that that I've picked up, you know, since I I mean I I've retired meditating for for, um, for a long time, and I started bringing it back, but now I'm doing it every day. So it's like those are the things that like I'm glad I'm picking up during this silent kind of retreat. So your new album, Neon Future 4, uh, obviously came out during the pandemic. I wanted to know, Steve, was that a tough decision to let it be released? Like, did you think about pushing it back? Because I know that there's some other major artists like yourself, uh, like Lady Gaga, for example, and Sam Smith, they're pushing theirs back and you didn't. So why did you make that choice? I mean, it was already, it, there's just too too much weight in the game to, for it to be pushed back. It was uh, I was I got pulled off my tour, the Neon Future Four tour. We were riding on this time to release the album for for months, months and months planned. And when we got pulled off the tour and I got sent home, the first thing I did was call my team up, going, "What are we going to do?" And you know, this question did come up: Are we going to push it back? Are we going to are we going to like settle in and figure this out? And you know, if we're, if we're going to buckle down and do it, how are we going to do it the best way possible? So that's when we um, came up with a 15-day challenge and just get everyone's attention because everyone's on social media right now. Everyone's on the phones, on their internet, on their watching Netflix or watching like stories or watching what's going on in the world. So we're like, you know what? It just makes more sense just to get it out now. We've already been setting this up. And all the artists that uh, that of uh, the 15 new songs that were on the album that were released, all of them were down to participate in one form or fashion. So 
you know, it just, it was like, okay, let's just hunker down and, 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 and do the album release. You know, it, it sucks because the thing is, is that, you know, for me the best way to promote this is live, you know, and I, and, and I don't see that in the foreseeable future for, you know, if I wait till I actually can perform live on the album, I'll already have finished like another album of music. So mm-hmm. I was just like, I just, I just need to do this do the best that we can to promote the album. And um, I mean, I'm making so much music now that, you know, it's not like this is just like a interlude. This is definitely the biggest, biggest career um, album of my, my life. So I'm um, putting a lot of time and, and, uh, and letting it, letting it do its thing. But um, I'm working on tons of music already. So well, uh, post COVID, there will be more Stevie Oki music. I mean, I just dropped a song today. I I did a production. I produced uh, for two young K-pop artists that are on the brink of exploding. Two solo K-pop artists, which is very rare, you know, not having like a K-pop artist in a group. And uh, that song is is a smash. And I just dropped that today. That's uh, it's actually out. You can you can see the. Um, the music video on my Instagram, I just posted that up. And I just dropped a remix a few days ago for Ghost in the Shell, this new Netflix series that they're doing with uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. And um, so I'm, I'm like still pumping out new records even during you know, Future 4. You have 27 tracks on the album, and I wanted to ask you, because I feel like you and I come from an era that probably appreciate how albums were sequenced, like where people really planned out what song was going to follow each other. So I'm wondering, Steve, like how much thought, and I'm sure a lot of it, went into sequencing this particular album in the order you wanted it to go. Yeah, sequencing is a big deal, and and I sequence it to to me, really, you know, because at the end of the day regardless of how people listen to music and I know people listen to songs, which is why I release songs for the most part. I mean, 12 of the, the, the uh, songs on the album were, they came out as standalone singles throughout 2019 and uh, leading up to, to the um, April 3rd date. But yeah, sequencing is a big deal because it's just, it's a, it's a, a test of, of the time of that album, no matter when people listen to it 10 years from now, 20 years from now, or like after, just like now, people are going to like follow that storyline. And, um, and this album is very dynamic. It's got a lot of different tempos, a lot of different genres. Uh, with the collaborations on the album, it allows to breathe so many different directions. K-pop, Latin, you know, I have artists from Brazil and to uh, Norway, to Asia, to, you know, China, to um, America, to Canada, you know, across the board. It's just a really diverse, just it's a really interesting storyline all all throughout from not just the genres, but we have like the club bangers, right, that are, that are for the culture. You have these, these pop collaborations and then you have these kind of what I call like the um, the glue to the whole series. You have these um, sci-fi collabs with scientists, and um, it's just it's it's a you know I really want to take people on a, on a journey. You know, it's it's very different than than a typical album. It's it's like it's a it's like a it's like a three-part movie. You know, it's it's a big project for me. You have a Canadian connection to the album for sure. As you mentioned, uh, there's Tory Lanes and Lights. And I was actually doing a live stream with Lights last night and she had nothing but glowing things to say about you and said how much fun she had meeting you for the first time. And you both started nerding out over uh, like like uh, video games, I guess, and, and the design stuff. And so I just wanted to know, like, why did you choose these Canadian artists to work with? Well, I mean, I always end up working with Canadian artists, whether they're songwriters or singers and musicians, I mean, it, throughout my career, it's it's clear that Canada has some of the leading musicians and artists in the world, like just hands down, you know, you know, I mean, like last year I produced a song for the queen, Celine Dion, and that was, that was huge. And she's, she's from your hood. You yeah. know? Luckily I got to meet her and, and bond with her and, and like, you know, learned about her quirky side and, 
how funny she is. And uh, and then we got, you know, we got in the studio and we made the song. So I'm really happy I got to work on her last album. Amazing song, by the way. You guys should check it out. But uh, it's, it's a no-brainer for me to work with Canadian artists. And for one, I have a affinity with Canada. I've been touring in Canada for as long as I've been touring in America. And um, the thing is, is as, as uh, you know, as far as population size, it's a lot smaller than the United States. But as far as EDM culture, pound for pound, um, Canada is, is always so educated. You know, like, like early days on, I'd go to play Canada and I'd, I would already have a high bar of expectation of, of like the fan education on my music. Like they would just, they would just know it quicker, faster. They just like, they got it. You know, it was always like, it was always like, you know, really fun to play in Canada. And, you know, just clear you guys have, you have what it takes to um, dominate in, in the music space. I wanted to actually ask you about your thoughts on Montreal and the EDM scene because, yeah, I think because we're Canadian, but we also have that European flair to our specific city, uh, we're definitely on it and we're huge fans of yours and huge fans of EDM. So have you ever had a chance to really sort of uh, explore Montreal when you've been here? And and what's your thoughts on our crowds? Because usually most artists say that we go crazy for, for our artists that come in yeah. and, and, and play. No, no, it, absolutely. No, Montreal is uh, insane. Like uh, I, my last tour we did, we did the the biggest t- ticket selling show at um, New City Gas, uh, and then I mean other other artists broke it, but we're the first one to to do like those numbers. So I have definitely I have a very devout, and uh, I'd say like I, you know I have a, I have an amazing fan base all over the place, all over Canada, but especially for Montreal, for some reason it's not just that I have a really big fan base, but I have a really devout passionate fan base there that were early and getting the tickets that, that they gave me like the highest ticket count for the city, for that, for that venue at, at that time. And, uh, you know, I, I love it. Like we always make sure we put, we go to new city gas. We always make sure we play in Montreal. I mean, I, I want to play more festivals there. You know, that's the one thing that I'm missing is I want to do a big festival in Montreal. I, I end up playing it at Belden, Toronto for the most part, but you know, when you already have like festival kind of energy in, in, and a club, you know, and it's so cool. I think that's the other thing too. People are just like excited to like go out and do something in the winter time, you know, because they're like stuck at home because it's so cold. But I don't know. You guys have some some tough skin. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I'll say thank you on behalf of all of us Montrealers. I wanted to ask you too, you know, you've worked with so many different artists. You know, when I was just looking over the list, it's insane all the people that you've worked with. I'm just wondering, is there anybody sort of that you still have like a bucket list for that you would love to, to work with in the top 40 world or even in the EDM side of things? Yeah, the thing is, that I used to talk about that and I realized that the best way to put out a record is surprising a surprising audience, you know, surprising everyone. So, um, there are some really interesting collaborations that are going to be happening and that I've been working on. And the other thing too, is there's nothing worse than like finally getting your dream collaboration. And then, uh, you do the song, you get in the studio, you track the song, everything sounds great. And you get to the finish line and then some bureaucratic red tape just like hangs it up and then puts it in the shelf. And then you can't release it because there's other powers that are involved that are, bigger than your say so so that hurts that really hurts that's happened far too many times to me so um i, I kind of keep that that answer to myself <laughs> that's fair that's good i did want to ask you too about uh your love of michael jackson because i happen to be a huge fan of janet jackson think she's amazing think the whole family is like just ridiculously talented and i just wanted to know what did michael jackson speak to you or how did he speak to you as a kid that you just took him him in and and were so influenced by him I don't know. I think it's just the whole thing with Michael Jackson. You know, it's not, it wasn't just his voice. It was everything. Like you watch his videos. Like back then watching music videos is how you heard about music. You know, like you're on, you're glued to MTV and you're like watching the videos, you're watching the, the outfits, you're watching the dance moves, you're watching the expressions, like, you know, and there's no such thing as social media back then. So like what you knew about people, you just imagine how they were in person and when, as a kid, I, I would I would look at Michael Jackson, his smile, his laugh, his like hair, his like clothes, 
his dance routines, his singing, and I was just so obsessed. You know, he's copy. I would copy him. He was my first concert I ever saw, and since then I've always been obsessed with Michael. And um, you know, decades later, I got the opportunity to to remix not only da- Jackson Five, but like the, one of the greatest songs of all time, Thriller. And um, and I had Joe Jackson in my studio so he can approve it and make sure that that the you know that it, it was it was good to go and uh that was that was mind-blowing as well so there's a lot that's come full circle in that for me personally um i never got to meet michael uh, i wish i did i was such a such a fan of his but um spirits and all his music so Perfect. always will be a fan of him and before i let you go steve i just wanted to ask you five quick questions i call them steve aoki fast facts for your fans here in montreal to sort of know what's going on uh, do you have a fave music video of all time uh, well, I'm just going to tell you the one in my head right now. Welcome to the Belt with Block Parade, My Chemical Romance. That's like one that just stands out really strong. I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but I'm just going to give it, I'm going to give the nod to, to my camp. If you were not a DJ or producer, what career would you have? Because I know you're super like smart and intelligent, so I feel like you'd probably be some sort of rocket scientist. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I would love to be working in the science field. I would love to work with Elon Musk. I would love to be in that kind of space and, and sitting in those rooms and figuring out how to find the vaccine for COVID-19. That would be amazing. Which pop artist would you like to be stuck in an elevator with? Freddie Mercury. Oh, that's amazing. That's such a good answer, Steve. That's so cool. If calories didn't count, what would you eat every day? Cinnamon roll. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, that's good. Montrealers will love that. And if you were co-headlining a tour, who would be the other artist or band and why would you choose them to co-headline with you? Good question. Well, my last tour was so was my favorite one so far and it was only five, five days or something because we got pulled off the run. But I was uh, touring with Timmy Trumpet and he is amazing. He's a lot of fun. He's my very, very close friend. We have like a couple of different songs we worked on. So um, I'm happy. I'll say Timmy Trumpet. Perfect. Steve, you rock. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We, we appreciate you and we can't wait till you come back here to Montreal. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's Grammy-nominated DJ and producer Steve Aoki. Learn more about him at steveaoki.com. The Kelly Alexander Show, bringing you fresh sounds like this. My comments and I scroll through, have you opinion. You can do it quite like I can. Do it. I'm just here to shed a light, yeah, yeah. Cause we're gonna be alright, be alright. Blown away that this young lady is back with some new tunes. Brandy, who has been a staple in the R&B genre of music since 1994, has released this amazing song that you're hearing right now called Baby Mama. And you know, Brandy has such a distinctive voice. She sounds great on this new song. And this song was actually inspired by her daughter. Brandy, by the way, finishing up her brand new album. It's going to be her first since 2012's To 11. Halsey is making a return to EDM music by working with Marshmello on their new single, which you're hearing right now, called Be Kind. Halsey has experience, of course, in this genre of music. She did a track called Closer with the Chainsmokers in 2016, and it became a number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for 12 consecutive weeks. So she is back for more, and this song definitely grows on you. And wanted to give a shout out to Halsey, by the way. She is donating 100,000 protective face masks to hospitals in California, saying that she is in awe of all the medical workers working on the front lines. Grammy-winning recording artist Her recently appeared on the hit NBC TV show Songland that features Ryan Tedder from One Republic. Now, she was on the show as the featured artist where up-and-coming songwriters pitch their music. 
The track you're hearing is the song that she chose from songwriter Raquel Castro. It's called Wrong Places. And if you love R&B music, you really need to be following this artist, her, on social media and listening to her music. She is just fabulous. And she is definitely going to be a face of R&B for the next several decades to come. New music on The Kelly Alexander Show. Joining us on The Kelly Alexander Show now is our music editor, Sharon Highland. And today we are talking... Hello. Hello, Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) Today, uh, you and I are talking about live streaming and how important uh, sort of this new way of doing things in a way has become super important during the whole COVID-19 situation. So I guess I'll start with asking you, uh, or I I guess I'll start by saying it didn't really take long once all of us, uh, specifically in, in North America, went into lockdown for artists to jump on to social media, I noticed sort of right away, specifically Instagram Live and specifically Chris Martin of Coldplay, I believe like he was one of the first ones to do it. And then it it didn't take long for um, like Josh Groban to jump on. Did you sort of jump on to the live streaming right away to scope out artists you like? I just started singing and people loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love the Chris Martin one. Uh, Yeah, I was on pretty pretty early and it feels like um, it feels like not only that it's been going on forever, but also <laughs> yep. it feels like it, it started like probably maybe a week or two in, cause maybe we were distracted enough at that point. But I think when, when news of, uh, concert, immediate concerts getting canceled, I think promoters and stuff were, were fairly cautious with how they were going to be, um, canceling, postponing, rescheduling, that kind of thing. And then when they started making more sweeping, decisions about not just like a two-week window but a 30-day window and even like you know to September and beyond kind of thing uh as soon as those harder decisions were being made I it felt to me that artists then started going more on their own platforms and and reaching out to their fans which I think in general pandemic aside is a really good idea because it connects you with your audience and it um it's it's an easy way to communicate, uh, but it next levels it, especially now, because we really feel like we're being considered as the fans. Mm-hmm. And do you which think, I love? Yeah, and do you think now that let's say or not let's say when things go back to the way we hope they can be uh, for the most mm-hmm. part, whether that's you know in several months or if it does take these sort of eighteen months that people are talking about. Um, do you think, though, that this has forever changed the way we will consume live performance? Yeah, because I think that um, it, it's one thing to make a decision to go back. Uh, it's whether or not people are going to want to go back. You know, so it's going to be safe, they'll say, but how quickly are people going to be rushing to stand beside, you know, sweaty sing a lot beside you, <laughs> you know, spitting on you and stuff like this is obviously like, um, it's, it's entirely possible when you're in that close proximity to people in a, like a general admission sort of, uh, um, scene or setting, then you're, you're, you're touching people's, you know, like mm-hmm. you're t- like, I'm totally in this overanalyzing mode, I guess now, but it's, it, it'll have to be. So it's one thing, like I, like I started by saying, it's one thing for them to be, to make the decision on when we'll be allowed to go back and reconvene socially. Uh, but, It'll be interesting to see how many people are interested in going back so right. quick. Yeah. Are you, like, how do you feel? Like, how quickly do you think you would go back? Um, it, I think it's really changed everything. Um, and I think I'll have to take it on a case-by-case situation. <laughs> I, I envision myself going to a show and uh, giving people dirty looks if they get too close to me. So maybe it's going to take some time. <laughs> maybe. maybe I would do that anyway. Yeah, I, I feel you might. I feel you might have that look. Um, and I'm just wondering, too, like, with regards to consuming things this way, I found out sort of fairly, I guess, sort of midway through where we are now that, uh, you know, because it's one thing for, let's say, like a John Legend to jump onto his Instagram and sort of do a free concert, if you will, from his home in California or whatever. and Which I love. Which is love, and, and he was great, and all that sort of stuff. But let's say, like, lower status artists, where, like, they really live and breathe by sort of being out on the road. Um, you know, like, how is this going to be feasible for them? And I, and I guess I'll preface that by saying I 
read an article that talked about Erica Badu, who's been around obviously for many years since the 90s and is a very talented mm-hmm. and, and very successful R&B artist. And she, at the time that I read this article, article several weeks ago, was talking about um, her trying to figure out platforms to charge her fans for money because she's trying to still support her band and tour personnel. Right. So yes. and she she said that she started off by just charging a, a dollar just because she knew she was going to have tech issues like on the first kind of go around and she says as as things progress she intends to up the price and I I don't know what the final price she hopes to charge but I'm assuming it'll be somewhere around like I would say 30 to 50 bucks. Do you think people will pay for that? Hmm. Um, that's a fair question because when you think of what you're getting, which is a full concert, if she's saying the experience will be elevated to, to create as close as possible an experience to it being at a club mm-hmm. or at a uh, concert hall, um, then it would stand to reason that, you know, 30 to 50 bucks is reasonable because not only are you getting the quality and the artists that you love, but you're also getting to uh, enjoy it from the comfort of your own home. Right. But will people, I mean, I can, I can argue why it is a good idea. Will people actually do it? I think it, um, I think it might fall under a different category of uh, not necessarily going to a show, but how people access their, their entertainment, you know, like if you're inclined to go to a show, I think you'll probably end up going back to shows. I'm going to go back to shows. And I, you know, I will be hesitant and and cautious, but I will be going back to live shows Um, for entertainment at my home. I'm not sure. I I don't know. You know what? Yeah. If it's someone, if it's a band that I love, I think 30 to 50 bucks is reasonable. So will people do it? I think they'll have to, you know, maybe use all the time that they've spent appreciating um, what they have while they've been off Mm -hmm. over these past few weeks and recognize that, oh, okay, well, the artists that I love also, this is what goes into making their, uh, or bringing their experience to me. So yeah, maybe I would, you know, they would have to consider supporting it. Will they? Time will tell. Right. But I, I would think that at this point, it shines a whole new light on why wouldn't you? Yeah, because I know, like, for her, I would pay that knowing if it's going to be amazing because she's amazing and, and that's good. But I guess my concern is for, again, like, like artists that are not to her stature yet or, you know, that, that kind of really slog it out on the roads for the first couple of years and then do it that way. Because I just don't know if some of those people have enough fans. Because sometimes, as you know, like, if you're the opening act for somebody then that really helps you out, you know, uh, and we can oh, yeah. use countless examples of, of people that have been opening acts for people and then it starts to take off your own sort of fan base. But like, if you already don't have much of a fan base and you can't sort of like, I don't, I, I've never even thought about this, but I don't know if there is a way that they could sort of have an opening act, let's say for an Erica Badu first, and then, then she comes on, you know what I mean? Like, I guess they could figure yeah. that out, but like, cause that whole aspect of you being the junior band or the junior artist, and then you help you you know, you're getting exposure that way. Cause we've heard like, how many times has that happened? Like the, you just, it's just too many to count, but yeah, I just, I worry about the younger bands that don't have a fan base that are going to pay like $30. Like, I don't know if some of these young bands would have people paying $30, maybe even five to, to see them perform. Well, I think then that would, uh, similar to when you go to a show and you have an opening act that you may not be interested in, this could be the same thing. So you have your headlining act that's coming right up after we showcase this artist that we'd love you to know their music. Right, right. And something I wanted to know too, like watching some of these live streams, what have you sort of noticed the most or enjoyed the most out of seeing them in their, you know, front room or their conservatory or their living room uh, because I've really and it's because for me I think it's been fun to see how some of them are very staunch at remaining you know like like glamorous like Mariah Carey she will never look not primped and proper when she goes on camera but then you see other people that looks like they just rolled out of bed I would say that's normally most of the guys that just don't care but yeah it's been interesting to, to see their their living rooms and then how they're presenting themselves in their living rooms. Well, it's funny because we've been watching Melissa Etheridge every day because I really don't think that people thought that it was going to go on this long. Right. Um, so, and now it's almost like, well, we got to watch her. She's on every day. So it's like <laughs> day 40, whatever now. <laughs> and, and every day, six o'clock our time, she's on. She does a mini concert, three to four songs. She talks. 
so it's it's part of my routine now. And then she did a live concert for I don't remember what the platform was, but it was a fundraiser um, where she did all the hits. So she's not been doing the hits. She's been playing album cuts and stuff like that. So she's done like whatever the math on 40 plus times four songs a day. Mm-hmm. We've heard of, you know, if you're a fan, you know the songs, but you're just happy to see what she's doing. She's done theme day. She does piano days on Sunday. She does, uh, she did Bruce Springsteen day one day last week. And there's going to be other artists that she'll, she's just broadening her own horizons because I think we're going into it. She didn't think it was going to last this long. So she was looking to please her fans that had tickets to her shows that were booked for now. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was interesting, though, to to commit to to watching her and supporting her every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, to then have she was advertising this show. Oh, yeah, we're going to play all the hits. Like, well, what? What, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> We've been, you know, it's sort of it's interesting because it's good, but it yeah. was so much a part of my routine to do the the six p.m. my time, three p.m. West Coast time that I totally missed the other concert where she did all the hits. <laughs> You know? Oh, my God. It's funny. But that's, I think, whatever the new normal is Mm -hmm. and what the new normal will be, uh, I think the game has changed. So uh, similar to any other um, cultural shift or uh, whatever comes along to to have things change, uh, it'll be, once again, survival of the fittest. You'll, You'll have to sink or swim. You figure out how to, how to exist in a world where uh, these changes have, have happened. And, and I think who benefits is, uh, is the fan, not fan singular fans. Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> because they think that everybody is committed to, to maintaining the experience, not, not letting that go. Just to wrap up, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on some of the global concerts that have took place you know there was the uh the lady gaga curated one world together at home and then for us here in canada they were stronger together which i believe raised over six million bucks for food banks in canada so yeah like what was your thoughts on seeing some of these major artists doing because i for example the one uh the one world together i have to say and i've I've told you this before but i love eddie vetter i felt his song was a little sad for (laughs) for what was was going on and he he was moving a lot, so that was it was distracting. And again, let's preface it by saying we appreciate the, what everybody's done, and this is just like a critique of why that song or stop moving. It's just it doesn't change the overall good of these, of yes. these people's intentions. Um, I was super impressed with uh, Gaga having orchestrated this whole thing and putting her her focus on the positive, which is no surprise. That's her jam, right? Yeah. Um, uh, the pre stuff, the online stuff, one of my favorites was Annie Lennox with one of her daughters singing, um, there must be an angel. Okay. That Eurythmic song, just mm-hmm. incredible. If you haven't seen it, see it. It's so good. Cause they're in a split screen cause they're not in the same place, but they did this wonderful version of a Eurythmics classic. Annie Lennox can sing anything, anytime. And so to have her split screen share with her daughter, just like, oh, it gives you the chills. It was so good. Um, One thing I thought interesting for the Canadian one was I loved it. So that's not interesting and no surprise. It just was super positive. I love how they they wove uh, stories and music and chat and stuff like that. I was and then that medley at the end, and then the prime minister comes on and says what he says, and then Drake shows up. Right. I just couldn't figure that out at all. Yep. I, I thought, you know, because and then I'm I'm big on benefit of the doubt, so I'm like, well, maybe he maybe his part got in late, or maybe this, maybe that. I just don't understand. There was no reason why he should have been the last word. It didn't make any sense to me at all. Apparently, it was, from what I gather, uh, late-breaking that he joined, and so they tacked it on at the end is what I, I've heard. Well, they could have tacked it on somewhere before the end. Yeah. You know, I think your punch is your big everybody singing the song, and then the prime minister comes on. Yeah. I think that's your ending. Yeah, that's And then what, if that's, Drake is last yeah. minute, then put him on at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I... I it was I, so I, random. It was yeah, like it was a random. bad edit job. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. I have to say, uh, I'm waiting. I was waiting for him to say something punchy too, like, "Oh, that's why he was last." But 
No. No, no. <laughs> I uh, I liked, even though the acoustics were kind of not great, I really liked Billie Eilish's um, version of Sunny. I thought that was, was fun. Like, it was it was oh, just a cool version. Gosh. She's a re- I really like her. I think she's cool. She's, uh, yeah, she's neat. She's around for a while, I think. So, uh, Sharon, I appreciate you making time for us. And uh, <laughs> Hey, Kel, you know what? I wasn't doing anything else. Okay. <laughs> Great. That means I can bug you more frequently to come back on the show. So that's that's what's going to happen. Please call anytime. Please, <laughs> please call. And uh, we'll, we'll say that you and I have to get another episode done of our other show that we co-host together, uh, 90s Now. So we need to get on that as well. Yeah. And you can find that easily on all the major podcast platforms, Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Play, not to mention our website, 90snow.com. That is Sharon Hyland, our music editor, hanging out on The Kelly Alexander Show. Joining us on the show is UK-born but Brooklyn-based recording artist Tamsin Wilson of the group Wilson. Their new album is called Ruiner, and we're happy to learn all about it. Tamsin, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Thank you for having me. So I have to start off by asking you this. When I was looking at your details of the band, so your last name is Wilson, like S-O-N, but the Wilson the band is S-E-N. So why the change? Yeah, I um, when I was first uh, starting out the project, I definitely wanted some kind of moniker. Um, and uh, I tried to come up with some ideas to mix both my mum and dad's last names and maybe naively thought that if you create a moniker then no one actually has to know your real name so I thought I could maybe get away with using something similar uh, to my last name um, but have since learned that it's caused some confusion um, so so yeah basically it is, it's supposed to be an homage to both of my parents' last names that's very cool. I like that. Uh, so let me take you back then with regards to your parents. How did you get into music? Were they very musical in your household? Uh, my dad played um, piano growing up just uh, as a hobby, and he was very good. Um, and so it was always a joy to listen to. And he actually uh, had, a, there was a guitar in the house, um, I think he got from a, for a birthday at some point. And that's how I started just noodling around. I found it in the closet day and um and started learning other people's songs uh uh and then started putting i'd done lots of writing separately you know as every average emotional teenager does and so started putting those words to chords from other songs and then it just evolved from there i took a couple guitar lessons and learned some my own chords and And so yes it really um sorry no i just wanted to ask you if, if the guitar is still like your spirit instrument yes yeah absolutely absolutely haven't evolved very far. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fair. Now, talk to us a little bit too about then your, I guess, penchant to go towards music. Like, was that always like I knew what, that I wanted to be on the radio since I was five years old. So I'm wondering if that was like similar for you. Amazing. Um, no, not not uh, professionally at all. Um, I was always more inclined towards the visual arts. My mom's a designer, and uh, that was something that. I was really keen to explore and actually started studying in college first. Um, and music was always just a nice uh, escape and release and, and very much um, a personal endeavor. Um, and then the more I started performing out and the more I, I kept on writing, I just was more intrigued by the idea of, of pursuing music. Um, and so it kind of gradually and slowly became part of yeah, my main focus, I suppose. Can we talk a little bit about, I guess, your geographic history and how that plays into your artistry? Because obviously you have a nice, awesome British accent, which I will not try to duplicate. <laughs> um, and then I know you spent time in Canada and now you're in the States. Yeah. So uh, can you talk a little bit, I guess, about maybe being from England and then what it was like being in Canada and then why you decided to go to the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, so my parents are Canadian, but they moved over to the U.K. when they were about 30. Um, and so my two sisters and I grew up there and then they moved back to Canada when I was about 11 um, and one of my sisters stayed in the UK and, and uh, my middle sister and I moved over there and so I kind of went through upper school um, junior high and high school in in Alberta um, and it was great I mean it was definitely a culture shock to move but I was young enough that it was easy to assimilate and I was fortunate enough to fall into a lovely group of, of friends um, um, we would go back to the UK uh, frequently too, so that was, you know, it was nice to remain somewhat connected. And then I actually moved back to the UK to start st- studying at university to start um, in art school, and then uh, out of um, a music college in the states. Uh, and 
it just became such a huge interest to try and pursue music that um, I wound up finding a way to transfer over to the US without real, not much um, foresight into how long I was going to stay. Uh, and then after you study in the States, you can stay in the region for, for a year. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, let's try New York. I knew so many other music friends were moving down and there's a huge community here. And so I, I came down and I've now been here for nine years. One year turned into nine years really quickly. Wow, that's crazy. And what's yeah. the best part about living in <laughs> in, uh, in Brooklyn? Because I was actually recently there. I'd never been to New York City, except sort of like transferring planes. But last March, I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So I was in Brooklyn because that's where it was. And it was such a, a an interesting vibe just in the sort of 24 hours I was there. So what is it about that area and being in New York that has made you stay there for nine years? I think community has a huge um, role to play. I am... Um I've been really lucky to to be around so many talented and, and wonderful people here, uh, coming from university and then meeting people here since since moving to the city. So that's definitely been a, a huge swaying factor when it you know whenever it comes to renew a visa or weighing out options. It's just it made made so much sense to try and try and remain in this really I don't know around the community, but then also the city itself is so inspiring. You've got access to only wonderful things that are within interest. Um, and then also just prat- practically, like my, some of my family live on the West Coast of Canada and some are in the UK. And so there's kind of like being here, it's, it's easy enough and, and cheap enough to kind of get back and forth. Whereas if I were to move to either one of those coasts, it would be a lot harder to see the other people. That makes any sense. <laughs> totally makes sense. And I have to say, like, yeah. you still have such a pronounced British accent. Like, that's amazing because I know that sometimes when people move, it gets watered down, whether, you know, whatever nationality yeah. you're from. So, how have you managed to keep it so awesome? <laughs> um, I, I don't think, I mean, compared to a normal English person, it's probably not. <laughs> and uh, like if we were A, being it right now. And um, and also, I've got, I, I lack all of the colloquialisms. Like, I'm, uh, I'm definitely. Definitely a diluted version already because I can't get away with saying things like quid or, okay. um, you know, <laughs> sort of slang. Um, but no, I don't know. I, that's, it's funny. It's been a question that comes up a lot. And I think maybe having all the sisters I, that, you know, and being around my, my fam, we just, it's just how I learned how to speak and so how I kept on speaking. I don't know. Because when I listen to you sing, it's not really there. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, actually. It's funny. I um I listen to older recordings as well, and I've got a really Americanized accent. Just I think because of the pop culture, I think that when you listen to pop songs, mm-hmm. you know everyone's singing with an American. With a, there's a huge Western influence, and um, and even you know even some Beatles tunes and stuff. You listen to their music and and got American voice uh, pronunciation as well. I think I'm, I'm, I haven't looked too far into it, but I wonder if that's because. Uh, the the vowel sounds are a lot. Um, uh, I don't know what the right word is. Bigger, broader, like the A's, and mm-hmm. they're more. Uh, maybe they're just easier to sing and hit notes with. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I know you're not the first, uh, you know, UK artist to sound sort of American when they, when they sing. So that's all good. I just thought it was, it was yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's not conscious. Okay. It's definitely not conscious. <laughs> oh, so you're not Madonna. Out, you're not Madonna, Madonna trying to sound British when she's when she sings. Mm. <laughs> no, no, okay. I've got no idea what's happening. Time. <laughs> uh, joining us on the show is recording artist Tamsin Wilson of the Brooklyn-based trio Wilson. You can learn. More about them on their website, thisiswilson.com. Talk to us about the sound of your music. Like, were you heavily influenced by which artists, and, and do you find that they've seeped into the sound that you produce today? Yeah, um, good question. I uh, I was quite um, influenced growing up by songwriters like Kev Stevens and uh, Carol King, um, Simon and Garfunkel. There's a, a few of my parents' staples that came through the house. Um, and so... I took to the storytelling aspect of music pretty early on. Um, I think we did, we did lots of long drives when I was little, and I think you, I don't know, that was probably when I first experienced the transporting nature of, of the songwriting. Um, so that's remained, I think, uh, pivotal in, well, not pivotal, but, but quite a strong focus in my writing is, is I do try to latch onto a story and extrapolate on certain moments. It's, I don't know why, but I really have an interest in illustrating 
a particular moment or experience. Um, but that said, I, I mean, now that I say that, I'm thinking about the record we're about to put out and a lot of the songs are pretty vague, so maybe that's glossed out. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so initially it was songwriting, um, storytelling, and then, you know, uh, moving lots of band influence, um, lots of... I'm trying to I always blank when this question comes up. I should have a list. Um, but we've been listening to so much local local artists as well. Um, you know, like the Hannah Cohen's that come out this year and Sam Evans and um, I'm trying to think of who else. I should, God, I'm always, I should prepare a list. Oh, <laughs> oh recent, recently, you know, actually there's been tons recently and there's a great local band called Lightning Bug, which is huge. Um, Alice Bowman, who's a wonderful artist from, I think she's Swedish, um, and she's fantastic. And Aldous Harding from New Zealand. Um, yeah, we've been drawn recently towards the more minimalist production, um, which I think is reflected in this album as well. In comparison to our last one, it's been a it's been a high interest of ours for the last couple of years. Um, really, just capturing an essence in a room and not trying to add too much on top of that. Tell us about the new album, Ruiner. Why did you call it that? And what sort of experience was it, uh, you know, writing and recording the record? Um, Ruiner is taken from the title track. It's the first song on the album. Um, We called it that because we thought it was, the song itself was most indicative of our recording experience um, and this new phase that we were entering. So, the album itself was recorded with a great friend and an amazing producer of ours called Andrew Salo, who we've known since college. Um, and lived in, he lived in New York for a while, but we didn't actually start working with him until he moved to LA. We have a penchant from working with people who live far away. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was a real joy to to work with him in the studio. He um, he brought such a wonderful perspective to our our songs and our arrangements and. Um, Prior to getting in the studio with him, we'd spent a number of months actually in our rehearsal space demoing and working on the arrangements so that they would be as tight as possible in a band setting. Uh, We wanted to make sure that that was uh, established before entering the studio so that we knew we could, at least the foundation was was there uh, instead of trying to start from scratch in the studio. Now, when it comes to your sound, like if somebody doesn't know who you are, how would you explain who you are to them? Um, it's so funny because I, I, in my mind, I, uh, we've created some rocky tunes. Um, and then I read all the reviews or hear people who kindly, you know, who are very sweet to say kind words like, oh, just such a soothing, soothing, lovely song. It really put me to sleep. So I think maybe there's um, a discrepancy I need to reconcile. <laughs> <in my mind. laughs> um, so I would say, from what I've been told, it is uh, soothing, atmospheric um, songs, a slight uh, hinge towards the melancholy, but but with a hopefully an optimistic um, tint. Uh, but yeah, electric instrumentation. Um, gosh, I haven't summarized it very well. That's all good. I actually yeah, really like that you said atmospheric because I would I would agree with that quite a bit when I was listening okay, to some of the songs. Cool. Yeah, and uh, just a question too, like if you had your pick of opening for like a major artist or a major band at the moment that most of the population would know about, who would that be? Oh yeah. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but I think we'd all be very happy to open for Radiohead. Okay. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but as far as we had a question recently about collaborations, I think it would be, I mean, just on, for the production scale as well, not only are their albums absolutely remarkable and their, the individuals in the band are just so, such brilliant, brilliant people, but from the production scale as well, they've always been quite inventive with their stage and their setup, and it would be fascinating to see how that all works. Um, So that would be one for sure. Uh, In terms of large scale, I mean, we we, also absolutely love St. Vincent. Oh, yeah. Going more left field, that would be brilliant to see. 
Now, um, I was looking yeah, at your you. your website and I saw all the the tour dates and you have a lot like over the next several months, you know, all yeah. over Canada and the States. So I'm just wondering, do you enjoy being on the road like or are you more of a studio rep? I think performing is not my um, natural state of being, but I absolutely love being on the road. Um, it's one of the most amazing experiences, not only to travel around the country, but uh, to get to share music in that capacity from people every night. You never know what you're going to get, obviously, but it's it's really special experience that uh, I think we all feel quite grateful for. Um, obviously, there are you know trials and tribulations to being on the road for a long period of time, but the band and I at this point have have done it enough that I think we've got a good groove and in terms of what everyone needs and how everyone's most comfortable and ultimately we just try and enjoy ourselves and and appreciate the opportunity that we have in the first place. Once the tour is over what do you think will be up next for for you and the band? Um, I think we need to start working on X Racket which is exciting Uh, and we're going over to the UK and Europe as well a bit later in the year which is really really exciting because it's been a few years since we've done that. So that's going to be great fun. And before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, because you've been doing this for a while now, for up-and-coming artists, what would be your biggest piece of advice for them? Oh, my goodness. That's a good question. Um, biggest piece of advice is just keep making. Keep making things. Just don't stop. Don't think too hard about what you're making. Um, I think I, I did that for the first few years when I realized I was pursuing this seriously is I I got a bit in my head about uh, how you know how whatever I was making would come across and so I would say to those young creators just stay out of your own way as much as you can that's perfect Tamsin it's been so great to have you on the show thank you so much for doing this I appreciate it Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Tamsin Wilson again of the Brooklyn-based trio Wilson. You can learn all about them on their website, thisiswilson.com. Thanks so much for spending time with us on the program this week. And a huge shout out to our guests, Steve Aoki and Tamsin Wilson. My thanks, of course, to our super producer, Adam Brisson, for pushing all the right buttons. And don't forget that you can follow us on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. We'd also love for you to grab all of our social media handles. You can do so by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have an amazing week. You and I will chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.